It's Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism, coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Miles Holbrook-Walk, and coming up on this week's show, we pay tribute to Australian football icon Les Murray. And joining us in the studio today, we have his friends and colleagues. Tracy Holmes presents Q&A Extra and The Ticket on ABC's News Radio. She's a distinguished journalist and an old friend and colleague of Les Murray's. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you very much for having me. And for over a decade, Andy Pascalidis was a presenter, commentator and reporter with SBS and a close friend of Les Murray's. Welcome to the show, Andy. It's great to be here, Mark. Tonight is all about Les, who he was, what he was about and the legacy that he leaves behind. Normally, we don't talk about sports or sports journalism on Fourth Estate. So before we go anywhere, I think a bit of backgrounding is in order. Les Murray was a sports journalist, football fanatic, and an incredible broadcaster. He was a staple of just about every major football broadcast at SBS up until 2014, in his role as chief football commentator. Incredibly, he covered eight World Cups with SBS over 30 years. But Les was more than just a commentator. He pioneered and advocated for the world game at every opportunity and was pivotal in pushing the game from periphery to the mainstream. Tragically, this Monday it was announced that Les had passed away after a long battle with illness. He leaves behind a loving family and a nation now enamoured with the game he loved so much. Andy, Les gave you your first break in 1984 when he asked you to commentate a game at Wollongong in the National Soccer League. Tell us a bit about the first time you met Les and how your relationship with him developed over the years. Yeah, it was interesting because I actually met Johnny Warren before I met Les because uh, Johnny Warren was writing a column at Australian Soccer Weekly uh, and I was there as a cadet journalist in 1983. Uh, but it didn't take too long to, to see Les because you could see him from a distance. Um, I, I never forget that walk. I never forget him holding his his coat over his right shoulder with two fingers and just walking along like he owned that football field, and he did. He did, and uh, I mean, as a, as a rookie journalist, you were sort of, the one thing is you were fearful of what you would say to someone who had such a big name in the game, and you soon you soon learnt that very quickly um, he treated you equally. Uh, it didn't matter who you were, uh, if you engaged with him, particularly when it came to football, uh, the engagement always, always was vibrant, lively, and engaging, and it didn't take too long for Les to sort of say, you know what, Andy... I hear you want to have a crack at commentating. Um, no one seems to want to drive down to Wollongong and commentate games. So round one of uh, 1984, Wollongong v Arpia Leichhardt at Taraji. And um, I got to commentate that game and uh, it was a 3-0 win for the visiting Arpia and goal of the round came out of that game. Indeed. Tracy, do you remember your experiences of first meeting Les? And the, do, do you remember that, that uh, a strong walk, as Andy described there? Or well, that it was presence? funny. When, when Andy was talking about the walk, and it didn't matter whether you saw him from the side, from behind, from behind, uh, in front, as Andy said, you really did know that it was him. But there are a couple of other distinguishing features about Les Murray that I'll never forget. One was his chuckle, and he had that incredibly, uh, how could you describe his voice? It's like a, 
a thick red wine. It, it was just so smooth and velvety, and and he would chuckle in the same way. And he was always up for a laugh. He he enjoyed life. It was part of the reason that he sort of gravitated towards football and trying to convince the rest of Australia that this is something we should be embracing, because along with all the heartache and the disappointment and the celebration of victory, there was also pure joy that could be experienced on a football field. If somebody painted an Archibald uh, profile of Les, it would contain those things, the, the jacket over the shoulder, the cigarette and the coffee. And if you could make a painting laugh, uh, that would sum up Les Murray. And he also worked alongside Les and Johnny Warren, who were affectionately known as Mr and Mrs Soccer. What was it like working with them and what was their relationship like? Oh, look, uh, just further on what Tracy said too, you know, tick, 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 you remember all those those moments. And it was it was ironic for me because um, it didn't take too long uh, for me to start writing a new segment for, for Les. And then there was a new show called Soccerama, which would start in 86. And um, I ended up presenting that segment with Les. And all of a sudden, I'm on camera with Les as a 24-year-old rookie and that laugh, as Tracy alluded to earlier, it was infectious. We had such a blast. <laughs> it was just so much fun to actually just banter along about different things. And we did some stupid things. We wore some ridiculous outfits because we lost bets on games or whatever. You know, we thought one team would win and they didn't. And I remember we wore hard hats of art, you like art. And when we were talking about summer soccer, so politically incorrect, we had these vivacious young ladies in bikinis serving us cocktails on lounge chairs in the studio. That would never happen today. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. And and you know what's interesting? Like in all of the memories and all of the different stories that people have been telling, uh, you know, since the short time since he passed away, everybody has a story about Les Murray, whether it was in person yeah. or something they'd seen or something they'd read. Everybody has a story about Les. And the thing is, you know, there's very few people in all of Australia that manage to touch people in that way. And yeah. I'm sure his laugh and his ability to be able to laugh at himself as well and to see the funny moments in things, I'm sure mm. that's what cut across so many different boundaries for people. That's what that's what it was too, Trace. When we were, particularly when we were in a state for match of the day, so it'd be uh, uh, Les hosting, Johnny and I commentating. So typically um, they'd find a, a local restaurant of note, and there'd be a bottle ready as soon as they got there, and then you'd sit down and have dinner. And Harry Michaels would be there directing and producing as well. And um, total strangers would come over, and unlike some, Les would turn around and politely. Um, offer them a drink or ask them their name, their background, what team they followed. And all of a sudden, the total stranger's sitting on your table for half an hour. And I, and I, I would go up, Is he your, where do you know him from? I just met him. I just met him. Okay, <laughs> fair call. But that's, that's what he was like. You know, he would always treat everyone the same way. Tracy and Andy, you both described Les as a mentor and separate quite touching tribute pieces this week. I wonder, for both of you, what was it about Les that made him a great mentor and, and what made him as well a leader in Australian football? I think one of the things that made Les stand out was that he actually came to it as a journalist. He wasn't a sports journalist 
And I, I sometimes feel that, you know, we, when we describe somebody as a sports journalist, we, we cut them short a bit because Les was a journalist. He knew a story. He knew news value. He understood people. And you can't separate that from his own personal life experience, rocking up here as a refugee aged 11, not being able to understand the language that people were speaking around him and how he used all of that in his own special way of being able to tell a story and be able to relate to people. And I think he taught me that. He also taught me that everybody has a story. He also taught me that, you know, it is possible to be both serious and have a laugh in one personality, you know. Uh, it's okay to ease up sometimes. Um, and I just think that the, the way that Les could draw a circle and include everybody and and weave it into a story. So a game of football was not just those minutes on a park. You know, that game of football was actually telling you about the life of the country or the two countries, as it turned out, that were playing the game. You know, Italy plays in a very different way to Brazil or Australia or Croatia. In every conversation, you would learn something. Yeah, I totally agree uh, again, Tracy. You know, I used to joke that uh, he was the ultimate educated ethnic. You know, he had that, that subtle accent, but he was so eloquent with his writing and his um, editorials were phenomenal. I remember when I started writing for him, and, and mind you, I'm a cadet journalist, so I was fearful of what he would think. But you know what? He taught me one key thing that stood the test of time with me is that, Andy, writing less is more. Mm. So don't overdo it. And it was just a joy to, to, to write scripts for voiceovers and stories that I would do on his programs um, when I was on the road and stuff like that, that he would sit down and go, look, Andy, I would probably change that structure there. Don't put that interview grab in at the, the front. and say That's probably your best grab at the end of the story. But, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And he goes, your style's not the typical style. Yours is more the emotive style where you can get the best out of a player and, and get that humour and that, that, that sort of personality side. And, and you know what, it was brilliant because it was basically a message from Les saying, do it the way that you're comfortable to do it and I'll endorse it. The only problem I had with him, I remember I wrote in a couple of scripts, soccer. Holy moly. <laughs> and you could see the smoke haze coming from his office, right? You know, and that was anyway. Laszlo wants to see you. Yeah, Laszlo wants to see you. And I'm thinking, shit, what have I written? Is it bad? He says, Andy, it's football, not soccer. <laughs> so um, you learn quickly. You learn quickly. But, you know, it, it just felt like yesterday when Les had his farewell at the SBS studios and he got up, got up on stage and had a bit of a sing-along as well. And, you know, and... Um, I, I, we did a we did a on the ball type sort of um, segment for West City Wanderers launch a couple of years back, and we also went to Parliament House last year. And he was on that panel, of course, for the Marconi's Greatest Eleven. And you know, I can only imagine how many other functions that Les had been invited to or attended over the years because uh, he was in constant demand, even. In those early days at SBS, you know, the mid-80s through to the, the mid-90s and late-90s, as more and more people gravitated to the game, his demands, the time demands on Les was just astronomical. Les was a big advocate for football's ability to bring people together. He believed that the game could create and nurture bonds between different cultures. Perhaps that's because of his history. 
In 1957, Laszlo Erga came to Australia with his family under the Hungarian Refugee Assisted Scheme. They were fleeing persecution and uncertainty in Hungary after the 1956 revolution. When Laszlo or Les arrived in Australia with his family, they were immediately placed in the Bonagilla Migrant and Training Camp near Wodonga. He couldn't speak a word of English. He and his family then moved to Wollongong, where he attended Berkeley High School. He began working as a journalist in 1971 and got his start at SBS in 1980, writing subtitles for Hungarian programs. And with SBS, he took football from the edges of Australian sporting society right to the forefront of the mainstream. Andy, that experience of a migrant coming to Australia at this time is one that's synonymous with so many Australians. Do you think part of what endeared Les to the public was his Hungarian heritage and the pride that he took in it? Look, football is such a global sport and multicultural Australia uh, is synonymous with its growth. And he was an unbelievable role model for all of us of non-Anglo-Saxon background, but particularly for those of us born here in Australia of different ethnic backgrounds. So SBS was sort of the catalyst in terms of giving those um, of multicultural background an opportunity to become, whether you're a presenter, reporter, commentator, whatever it was. And Les, you know, I look back at like my heroes, like before I got to SBS, it was like Les Murray, George Danikian, Mary Kostakidis, three people of multicultural background but working for the multicultural network. And if you look at the way the media is now, it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter what your background is. It's whether you can do the job. Back then, yes, there were some issues, but he was certainly a great advocate for multicultural straight. And, of course, in recent times, uh, with the cause of the refugees, of which he could so easily relate to. Tracy, from coming to Australia by boat and not being able to speak English to becoming a master of the English language as a TV anchor, his story is one of great social mobility. And in a way, it is representative of many migrants who came to Australia as children. Do you think his overcoming of disadvantage to have the influence he did on football adds to his story? Totally. And and I think it doesn't just add to it. I think it's really key to it. You know, it, it was the, the crucial cornerstone of who Les Murray was. And he wasted no time in, you know, the, this last decade or so, every opportunity he had, he would reinforce that message. You know, I was a refugee that came here by boat. I owe people smugglers a huge debt of gratitude because without them, I may not even have had a life, you know. I I may have been finished already. Um, And he was constantly reinforcing that message and I think trying to appeal to that other side of Australia to say we're we're better than this. We're better than the message we're selling at the moment. And Les Murray, here I am, I am, you know, representative of that. This is what can happen. So how many other Les Murrays do we now have that are, you know, have been detained in Nauru or Christmas Island, you know, and and he combined all of that whole sort of, people would say, um, political aspects, but it's not political, it's humanitarian. And Les, above everything, was a great humanitarian and he saw the humanity everywhere, everywhere he went. And every time he looked on a football pitch, he would see the humanity of the players first. Um, so I think that's what made uh, Les so remarkable. Obviously, his background just played into every single step 
and every single hurdle he overcame. But he saw each of those things as opportunities and he was forever grateful of what this country afforded him. And he just wanted those sorts of um, opportunities to be afforded to other people that you know find themselves in similar circumstances today. We touched earlier on Johnny Warren and Les's friendship. Tracy, you described them as the odd couple in your tribute piece to him. Why is that? <laughs> well, could you find two people any more different, Andy? I mean, that was what was so astounding. Here you've got, you know, Les Murray with the voice and the accent and the beautiful European suits. And, I mean, he was just all class, wasn't he? And and yeah. then you had Johnny Warren, you know, a bit of a renegade, the freckly Aussie, probably looked more comfortable in a tracksuit than anything else. Um, you know, you'd imagine watching him walking in and out of the TAB with a newspaper rolled up in his back pocket. I mean, that they were the odd couple. But but I mean, what a relationship, what a friendship they had. And if you wanted any recommendations for how friendships could be, you don't have to be the same, you don't have to look the same, you don't even have to have the same accent. But you can come together over this passion for a round ball that's been kicked from one end of a field to another on any ground anywhere on planet Earth, and, um, you know, this this incredible friendship developed. Um, yeah, it really was quite a remarkable twosome. I, I just loved uh, that, that weekend of football fixation that we had, that we would play our games on the Saturday afternoon and rush home at 5.30 to watch Les present World Soccer, and then we'd know that on Sunday morning on the ball would be on and uh, Johnny and I would be talking about everything National League and then we'd rush off and do match of the day. And then we'd have a one-hour highlights package show that we'd all come back into on Monday to script and voice and present. And then we'd start doing some stories uh, during the week and it just kept going and going. You know, it was just... I think back then we didn't realise how lucky we we all were. And... When you think of that SBS sport department, you think of the people that have gone on from SBS, like Brendan Moore at Foxtel, uh, Walsh at Channel 9, Adrian Swift, Lauren Rudd, um, you know, the other reporters that were there from Tomolaris and Farrenhoffham and so many other, you know, people that came through. Um, he was our mentor. It wasn't just about the football for us. He was nurturing us. He was giving us so much time and so much of his experience. We probably didn't realise it at the time until times like this week. That's true. And, and you know, he, he also gave me a go. I remember, you know, getting a call out of the blue saying, would you like to come and uh, cover the 1998 World Cup in France? And I was like, oh, my gosh. I don't think I even qualify, do I? I don't come anywhere close. Um, anyway, I you know, found myself as, as part of the team and uh, the, the mentoring began and working closely you know, on the host set there with Les and Johnny. And at one point there was uh, a listener and I think he'd been writing in every night of the coverage, you know, oh, there's some real tension between Johnny Warren and Tracy Holmes. And, and Les was <laughs> laughing about these, these notes that were coming in every day. Anyway, one day on set, um, Johnny, mentioned to it you know and he looked at the camera and he's gone like no there's no problem with me and Tracy Holmes look and he jumped up and he squeezed me tight and he looked back at the camera and he goes there satisfied and sat back down in his chair again and, and Les was laughing all the way along you know and, and again just showing the, um, the the completely different nature of the two men um, and 
just having fun. Those the the memories, the things you think of. You know, you walk along. The last couple of days, I've spent some time with my husband, and just out of the blue, I'll remember something about yeah. Les or Les and Johnny, and and you just have to have a chuckle. It, it's 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 interesting too, Trace. It's just triggered something in my mind mindset too, because. Um, the, uh, another part of the two of them, uh, particularly Les, because we'd see more of Les in the studio, studios and at the offices at SPS, just the constant frustration because it, it felt like he was swimming against the tide in terms of what his mission was with football and how he wanted football to be put where it should belong on a big pedestal uh, amongst the the big sports. And um, that frustration actually had the reverse effect in a way because it made him more committed and more passionate to push to push the game to push it to where no one else had done no one else had taken it so um, as much as it was frustrating for, for Les in a way it actually strengthened him in so many ways to keep the mission alive to keep the push going to to educate the masses to say that listen this is the greatest game in the world uh, I'm going to show you why I'm going to prove to you why so um, you know uh, that's probably one of his lasting legacies was it important that Johnny was a dinky-die Australian who coupled with Les, a Hungarian migrant who wanted to bring a game loved by Europeans and indeed the rest of the world to the Australian public? I think Tracy will, will go along with me on this one. One thing in sports broadcasting is it doesn't matter if you're a presenter and you haven't represented your country. It's all about the quality of what you bring to the table. So that was the perfect partnership. Les never played at the top end of the game, like myself and like so many others. But he had a, uh, an ally next to him who was well-respected. And also, let's not forget that being an Anglo, being a dinky Dionysi, being a guy raised in, in botany amongst uh, uh, just a, uh, so many different multicultural people around him, Indigenous people, and playing what you know Johnny Proud used to say they call it the wog game and and all the rest of it. It was the perfect combo because firstly you had an ex Socceroos captain, and then you had Les Murray. Perfect combo, perf absolutely perfect combination. I totally agree. Totally agree. And and add to that, um, both men had such distinctive personalities that that complemented each other and it really it was almost like you know the two very different sides of the one coin they just fit together so perfectly through the difference in just about every aspect of each other yeah now after les's retirement from sbs he along with the co-host of the world game craig foster launched the southern expansion bid and with the hopes of that team uh, becoming a part of the a league and the w league Les was a big advocate for grassroots football, but he also had a close relationship with Frank Lowy, uh, the long-time chairman of Football Federation Australia and one of our nation's wealthiest and most influential people. Lowy was also a refugee from Hungary, and they shared their love for football with each other. Andy, do you think uh, their relationship allowed Les to not just talk about changing the football, but actually uh, change it in such a significant way as you were just noting just before? Yeah, look, um, Frank and Les, oh, they, they've known each other all well, before I met Les. Um, I would think um, once the Phillips League, as it was called, was formed in, was it 77? But they would go that far back. Um, and it was interesting once Frank came back into the game how that relationship seemed to get stronger and stronger as well. Um, 
There's been, I, I must say, there's been some some talk about Les being on the ethics committee and uh, the fact that we didn't get the World Cup and we only got one vote. And some people have, have questioned um, what happened in that process, um, which is disappointing in a sense because. Look, anyone that has had any dealings with FIFA in the last 10 years is always going to be questioned anyway. So it disappoints me. And, Tracy, you've seen it fairly closely how that, that has evolved. I mean, as we all know, Les was on the ethics committee and um, there's always going to be question marks about that vote. We've only got one vote. But that summed up FIFA anyway and FIFA the way that they've been operating in recent times. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that, you know, the committee that Les was on was the Ethics Committee. It was the committee that made recommendations on numerous FIFA officials, which were then investigated and then kicked out of the game. Um, Some of those same names that we saw later appear in FBI files. So it is important to recognise the work that the Ethics Committee did, but that by no way, you know, diminishes the fact that the Ethics Committee wasn't given uh, carte blanche as they probably would have liked to be able to, to go and do whatever they did because everything then had to go through the President's office for him to tick off on whether it was going to go any further or not. You can only work with the cards that you've been dealt with. That's right. Um, yeah, so it's important. Hiding to nothing. Hi- hiding to nothing. So, so here's the option: Do you stay outside? You stay outside the game and 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 criticise from the outside, or do you hop in and try and make a difference? Um, I think it's it's a it's a lose lose situation when you're talking about the politics and governance of sport. But credit where credit's due, he got in there and had a go because he thought he could make a difference. Um, and in many ways he did. Uh, his involvement, Les's involvement with um, the, the bid, of course there was a friendship there with uh, Frank Lowy. And you're not going to be able to separate those friendships when business decisions are being made. But Les's role was only ever in that, that friendship mode and, and um, an advisory capacity. Both Les and Lowy came from Hungary in a generation where great football was being played by the Hungarian national team. Puskas comes to mind at the uh, amazing things he achieved at Real Madrid in club football as well as with the national team. Les in particular did desire to see football played beautifully in Australia, Tracy. And is part of his legacy him trying to ingrain that flair, that poetry of the way that football could be played and trying to bring that to Australia? Absolutely. And, and that flowed through everything that Les did and, and all of the discussions that he had. And, and he was so typically European in that aspect, you know, that once the game finished, the game hadn't finished. Then you'd sit around the table having dinner and coffees and drinks and all and sundry could come and join. And the discussion would ebb and flow between what you just saw on the field that day and what was going to happen in the quarterfinals next and how the politics of the day was affecting that. And it, it was just it was just one ongoing conversation. If I could sum up Les Murray, that'd be it. It was one long, ongoing conversation with football at its heart, because football actually represents so much more than just a game. And um, yes, he did want it to be played beautifully, the same as he wanted people to live life beautifully, and he wanted people to treat each other beautifully. And he, he just, yes, he wanted a beautiful world through football. And, and I think you see that now through every single person that he's had an impact on and that he mentored, including Craig Foster, who is now going to take up that mantle, no doubt, um, you can see there's little bits of Les Murray in all of us, isn't there, Andy? There is. 
There is, um, as you're talking, Trace, I've typically I've jumped on the social media to look at some comments, and um, one that resonates with me is Les was a giant of football, and he truly was. He he really, you know, he took the game to places I never thought he could. To be honest with you, um, I mean, I left SBS in '94 to to test myself in the emerging pay TV market. Um, I think uh, one of the great, great paths of football has been the fact the Socceroos have qualified for 2006, 10, 14 and hopefully 18 World Cups and our Matilda's doing so well. In, and I can only imagine if Les was still with us what he would have made of the Matilda's beating USA 1-0 and dusting Japan 4-2 um, because that's another part of Les that people don't realise. And you just touched on it, the fact that he gave you that chance in 98 he changed the whole look of sports broadcasting in a way that it was not just about the blokes. Um, he, he nurtured and mentored so many lovely young ladies like yourself and Mariana Rudin and Lucy Zelich and Liz D. Jones and um, so many people uh, behind the scenes. Um, his impact's far greater than just selling the game to the masses. I think it's uh, important to touch on that, that idea of a giant status and it now, in lieu of his passing, the former Socceroo and the current Sydney FC head coach Graham Arnold has suggested naming the knockout competition the FFA Cup after Les Murray. Is this something either of you would like to see? Oh, look, I just think rename everything after Les Murray. <laughs> because he's certainly impacted on everything. I mean, you know, it's very hard to... It's so hard to limit him, you know. There, there are no limits to Les. And yeah. I think that's been evidenced by everything, you know, you've mentioned and, and my recollections as well, is that Les touched everyone and everything and to sort of, I don't know, I, I'd feel a bit strange limiting it to one thing. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about how to mark Les and I'm just I, not sure you, I've come you, up with anything you know, big enough. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, I thought about this earlier um, today and... I would think the FFA should seriously consider um, during the A-League season. They've already probably locked in everything for the next season, but maybe a Les Murray uh, uh, fan day round of the A-League. Something, because he touched so many people, something that we can all sort of relate to. Um, You know, I can tell you now I've had a phone call today that everyone in my St George Association, where I'm a life member of St Susie and I play at Forest Rangers and St George obviously so close to Leather's heart, we're all wearing um, armbands and I think we're doing a minute's silence in respect to Les Murray. And I, dare I say, I think everyone in New South Wales or Australia this weekend should be wearing black armbands. Absolutely. And you know what? I would even suggest that the black armbands be made out of rubber bands because <laughs> Les's other great love was music and yes. the first band that he played in was called the Rubber Band. You've just reminded me, Tracy, of when Les's daughters would come into his office and they were six, seven, eight years of age and from school and hang out there until he read the World Sport Report at seven. Um yeah, it's, 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 it's such a sad time. And there's a sidelight story that I, I, I can tell you. The president of our association, a lovely man called Sock Malios from the St George Association, he's just had a uh, bone marrow. He was in the same waters, Les, for a, a long period of time and they actually shared a room together on occasion. 
Um, I spoke to Sock's brother today and he said to me that his brother's so upset about what's happened, as, as all of us are. He said, but Les, even in his fights, in his, the ultimate fight, he was always engaging and always so happy that there was someone else there that he could talk football and uh, engage with. And I guess that so many people have made the comment too in the past couple of days, haven't they, that you know, they can just imagine the conversation that's taking place now. Finally, Johnny Warren and Les Murray uh, back in touch, sitting there discussing every element of the game they can possibly think of and catching up on the years in between. Oh, jeez, Eddie Thompson would probably be throwing his two bobs <laughs> worth in with Joe Watson and Ferenc Pushkas is probably uh, calling it. Uh, he could be the referee. Now, Les Murray personified a passion for football. He believed that the world game was more than just a game. It was an international language that could bring people together, no matter who you were, where you were from, or what you believed. And above all else, Les and Johnny Warren desired to see Australia play at a World Cup after agonising narrow misses. Johnny Warren died in late 2004, and almost a year to the day later, the Socceroos would qualify for a World Cup for the first time in 32 years. They completed their football mission, their dream to be on the world stage playing the world game. Tracy, you were a huge part of SBS's 2006 World Cup coverage in Germany. What did it mean to Les to finally be there after the 32 years of yearning and also without Johnny? Uh, well, I don't think he was ever without Johnny. And, and I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Andy, but, but I would say one thing. When, when Johnny died, I think a little corner of Les was put yep. into hibernation, wasn't it? Yeah, it he, wasn't the same. He wasn't, wasn't the sorry, same. I'm sorry, it wasn't the same. No. I respect anyone that worked with him. Yeah. And, and it's, he, he lost a loved one. He lost a family member. He lost someone who we all just... You know, Les and John. Yeah, uh, they were inseparable. We he lost his, his. It's like he lost his co-pilot. You know, yep. because everything yep. they did for the game was together. Um, so even though, I mean, obviously, everything he thought and the celebrations that that he had because Australia was there and had qualified, his first thought immediately was, "How proud would Johnny be?" You and know. The Remember, yeah. he looked up to the heavens. Yes, exactly. And he, he did that in the coverage and, you know, made mention of, of Johnny saying, yes, you know, we know you're watching and, and, and we've done it. Um, so there was always that element of, of Les being attached to Johnny, even though Johnny had, had already passed away. But I, I do remember one occasion we're at, at uh, the World Cup and I think it was when Australia was playing Japan and Japan had gone one goal ahead Um Timmy Cale was was subbed on and 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 scored a goal and I was standing between Les and Craig Foster and I um, I swear like here's three people three adults standing at the World Cup and we're all very nicely dressed we're all been presenting for SBS and and this moment of mayhem happens and finally Australia equalizes and Foz and Les and I we form this sort of circle and we've got our arms around each other we're jumping up and down like four-year-olds in a kindergarten <laughs> playground it was unbelievable and you think you know this is the passion this is this is that other element that people that can 
can never sort of have never celebrated or don't understand the celebration of sport, that's the sort of thing you're talking about. You know, you can send um, very sensible people into doing very silly things. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a great day, wasn't it, Kaiserslautern? And I remember I took a group of 100 people across and um, that goal, those celebrations that we all did inside that stadium. And <laughs> the best one was outside. Ray Martin was being thrown up and down. And I just let, I, le- I leant over to Ray. I said, "Mate, I'm glad you've come to see the real football." And, and Ray looked at me and goes, "I now get it." Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Indeed, I, I think I, I, in terms of my memories of, I, I remember the the live cross where uh, just after the Croatia game, where it had been so. The, I don't think the tension could have been any higher in that match. And when he just turns to Craig Foster and he says, "You know, we've done it," and you know, what are you feeling? And he and Craig Foster, it's really that it wasn't a particularly cutting analysis of what had happened in the match. He just said, "It's a team of heroes," and that passion that they carried, it felt like it was just emanating through the TV. Mm. Then I was, I remember I was about eight years old at the time, watching in my parents' <laughs> bedroom, and it did feel like it was a heroic effort. It was this true. I, I, words can't describe, and even uh, remembering it now, it's. Uh, and I feel like that's uh, something that. Perhaps uh, Les Murray really did was he was yeah. there at those moments that you remember. For anyone who was a football fan, or even people who weren't particularly big football fans that would just engage with the surface of football that would emanate into them, it was this case of you remember where you were because mm. there were the personalities like Les Murray guiding you through it. Yeah, and and Les also, like a lot of us, remembered those dark days when New Zealand cost us a place in the '82 World Cup when. We were done by Scotland for the 86 World Cup and Israel came to our backyard and did the, the job of us in the, in the 1990 World Cup and then the ill-fated two games against Maradona in 94 and then Iran 98 and so on. So there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of torture before we reached the summit. And um, we reached the summit with Les leading the way and John leading the way in so many instances and... Um, it just shows you that in in all those dark days as well as a as a football broadcaster, Les kept going and get, kept going. And um, how many people can can say they hosted that many World Cups? Mm, amazing. And that's it from us on the Fourth Estate. Thank you to both of my guests here in Andy Pascalidis and Tracy Holmes. Miles, thank you so much. Lovely to talk with you too, Andy. Yes, it's a pleasure, Tracy. We should do it more often, just like the good old days of Balls Up 1990. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Miles. Thank you, Andy. And even though he's no longer with us, we want to say thanks for everything, Les. You'll be sorely missed. My name's Miles Holbrook-Walk, and you can catch us at the same time next week. Thank you, and good night.